Ask the Dean, episode two. Welcome back to Ask the Dean. If you haven't checked out episode one, go listen. Subscribe in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's the thing I want you to do. Go subscribe. We have another amazing Ask the Dean for you today, talking about Dr. Wright's thoughts about my personal statement book, whether he agrees with the kind of seed metaphor that I use to talk about writing a personal statement. So I was a little I was a little worried to see what Dr. Wright would say. You can find out by listening on. We talk about the lack of clinical experience potentially for non-trads and whether that weighs into the adcoms decision and their thoughts. We also talk about how adcoms figure out who will make a great physician. Now, just to remind you, Dr. Scott Wright, who's my main co-host on here, we also have Rachel Grubbs, who's an MCAT expert, been in the pre-med space now for almost 20 years, doing a lot of test prep and much more. Uh, But Dr. Scott Wright is a former director for admissions at UT Southwestern. He ran the pre-health office at UT Dallas. He was a dean at UT Dallas doing the pre-health office there and was most recently the executive director of TMDSAS. Yes, the whole application service Dr. Wright was in charge of. So he had tons of contact with all the medical schools in Texas. He's an amazing expert here for us at MAPT and for Ask the Dean for you listening to this. We have tons of great advice and conversation in our episode today. We are live. Hello, hello. Hi. Hello. You guys, it's Ask the Dean, episode two. We're so excited. Yeah, yeah. Say hello. Welcome to Mapped. Say hello to, uh, to everyone in the group. Let us know where you are watching from, who you are. Hello, hello. I'm posting on Instagram. Maybe we should tell where we're from. We don't, <laughs> we don't care about you, Scott. Oh. <laughs> okay, fine. Go ahead. I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin. Going strong. Yep. yep. I'm Rachel. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I'm in Boulder, Colorado. We got a Loveland, Colorado person here. That's awesome. So it's interesting. Rachel, you were mentioning this the other day, just a, a user thing. It says Facebook. So some people can show their name and some people just says Facebook user. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing this up. And we are we are recording right now, but we can slice this little moment out if we need to later. So um, for those of you that prefer to stay anonymous when this airs publicly later, um, then you just want to make sure that essentially you do nothing um, because you have to tell Facebook if you want StreamYard to recognize your info. So a couple of you I can see have gone ahead and given StreamYard permission to recognize your face and name. Um, and obviously everybody here in the map private group is going to see your, your face and name when you post questions. But after we do this privately as a group today, we'll air it publicly elsewhere. So if you don't want those questions to be tied to your identity, then just keep yourself anonymous. But then keep in mind that it means that we won't know who you are when you ask. So we'll just say, somebody asked. And like, don't be offended. We're not using your name. (laughs) Awesome. I hope that makes sense. Awesome. Complete sense. Yep. 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 All right. Um, Well, then um, I'm going to go ahead and go to the background so these guys can get to ask the deaning and I'll be helping monitor these comments and around if you need me and uh, have fun. Indeed we will. Sweet. Awesome. Um, 
How you doing, Dr. Scott Wright? I'm doing well. How are you, Dr. Ryan Gray? I'm doing fantastic today. Um, Good. I'm excited for our first kind of private Ask the Dean uh, yeah. in our MAPT group. It's amazing the the response to MAPT and what we've been building now for several months and yeah. what our vision is for it. We're like close to 500 people have, have signed up. So I'm yeah, so that's awesome. About that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Thank you, if you're watching this, if you're participating in this live right now, thank you for uh, allowing us to be that guide for you and trusting us to be that guide. So, Yeah, we've got people said, from all over the country. All over. Tennessee, California, Minnesota. Uh, Texas, woohoo! Texas, whatever. Um, oh, there's a, Florida, a couple of Florida people too. So. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So really, this is um, your opportunity to to ask questions. You watching this, participating in this. Um, these shows are going to morph into whatever they morph into. But the idea behind them is really just to, to answer your questions and to get as nuanced and as specific as possible to... Um, to to answering your questions and your pain points and just guiding you along the way. So um, ask your questions uh, as we go through this. Ask, 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 ask away. Um, and Rachel had commented earlier about private versus public and some people we see your name. Um, I don't know, Rachel, just a, another kind of admin note. I don't know for people how they know if they've given permission uh, basically how they know if their name shows up. So without really knowing that, basically say, like when you ask your question, just like if you want it anonymous, just put anonymous in your comment too until we actually clarify and can give better directions. So um, why don't we just for today, Rachel and, and Scott, we'll just keep everyone anonymous. We don't need to flash, uh, flash the questions up on here. So with that, we have our first question here. Uh, wondering what your thoughts are uh, about the take Dr. Gray has on the seed idea in the personal statement writing. Do, right off the bat, you're going to try to pit each other against, uh, pit pit each of us against each other. So so the question basically <laughs> is, Dr. Wright, do you think Dr. Gray is dumb for the way that he tells people to write his personal statements? Well, so that's a good question. Um, and no, I don't think that he's dumb. Uh, I think that the, you know, the, there's my, my take on, Oh, let me, let me pause for two seconds. You do have the book. I do. Have, have you read it? I have read part of it. Okay. All right. So just to give a little context, he, he has the book and he's read some of it. He understands the idea behind it. There we go. Yes. Right. Continue. And you know, what I think is that there are a lot of different ways to start at writing a personal statement. And basically, there is a genesis moment. There is a moment where you, you, you take something out of nowhere and you put it into actual writing and you begin to, uh, it, it, you know, using this sort of gardening metaphor you use water, you, you water this idea, you, you, you uh, fertilize this idea and you let it kind of begin to blossom. And, and, and so I think that for, for all students, 
you know, regardless of what technique you use to, to write your personal statement, to begin that process, you have to use a, you have to use a process that makes sense for you. Um, if it's, if it's Ryan's, you know, process that he illustrates in his book, then that's great. I think it's a great, uh, a great way to, to begin and, and a great way to sort of track your way through the, uh, the writing of an essay. Um, I think, you know, you may have an, another idea of, of a way that you want to do it. Um, but I, I definitely think that there, regardless of what you did, there's, there's a point at which there's a start, there's a starting point. There's a Genesis point that that's going to, uh, expand into other things. And I like the idea of, and this is where tracked really comes where, where, um, tracking your thoughts and stuff and really where mapped comes in a lot. Uh, because for students who are, let's say, beginning their process with mapped as a freshman or as a sophomore, or even as a, as a junior, sometime before they get to the app, to the point where they're beginning to write their app, their um, personal statement, you've got a lot of information in there and you are, are tracking classes you're tracking experiences, whether they are um, medically related or extracurricular or whatever. You've got a lot of these experiences that you're using. And, and I think the, the thing that happens often is you pull from those experiences and you even pull um, phrases that you used, for example, in MAPT. Uh, and you'll be able to say, I love that phrase the way I put that. I want to include that in my this is a part of pulling from a lot of different things uh, to begin the process of putting together what's going to eventually be a personal statement, an essay. But at the very beginning, it doesn't look like an essay. Yeah. It's just a seed or it's just a brain dump or however you want to sort of conceive of it. And so, yeah, the answer, the short answer to your question is use what makes sense for you. But most students, are going to need some sort of initial structure uh, to help them figure out how do I even begin this process? And that's where I think uh, Dr. Gray's book comes in really handy with giving you that structure. Now you may follow that structure beginning to the end, or you may start off with that structure and then punt it and go somewhere else with it, you know, with, with your um, writing process. And that's okay too. You know, I think that it's it's very much an uh, an idea uh, of uh, you making it making sense to you, and but using structures that will help you kind of get your head around it. I don't. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, the one thing that it probably I don't give enough context around is the fact that the the ideas that I have in my book are not the only way to write a personal statement. Right, they're they're the way that I've come to uh, enjoy reading. It's the way that I've learned um, what 
it actually works for telling a story and for students to understand how to tell their story, right? Just using normal storytelling techniques. It's not really a secret to the personal statement, but it's just storytelling in general, whether it's a, a, a novel, a, a movie or whatever. Um, I, I think probably if I want to even dissect even further is that a lot of the ideas in the book, some of the best ideas probably are more around what not to do, right? The very cliche, the very kind of overused things um, versus the way to do it, I, I think potentially is a better way to, to think about it as well. But that, those books don't sell as well. How not to write a personal statement. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's go to... Um, and, and Rachel, if you do want to moderate, it, it looks like a lot of the questions coming in are from anonymous users, so we can throw those ones up there too and just maybe avoid the uh, non-anonymous users if you were planning on moderating at all, but that's okay. All right, here we go. Are admissions committees sensitive to the reasons behind the lack of clinical experience that non-traditional career-changing students may have compared to their more traditional co-applicants? Are non-tread students considered a little differently in that regard? So, Scott, hmm. from, from someone who uh, has had that experience, both from a TMDSAS perspective and gathering all of that data, and, and now TMDSAS actually has that non-trad question in there. Right. Um, and from the director of admissions standpoint, really the question comes down to, number one, how, how potentially is that data seen that a student is non-traditional? And then from the admissions committee side, how do you take that into account? So, yeah, and that's a really good question. And I think that, um, you know, traditionally, <laughs> traditionally non-traditional students were seen as students that are old, that are 20, you know, above 25 years old. In other words, it was, it was traditionally all defined as age. So if you were o older than 25, then you were considered non-traditional which I think that the medical schools are really trying to expand the notion of what non-traditional really means in some ways in terms of recognizing that somebody who's younger than 25 could frankly be non, you know, somewhat non-traditional in their pathway. But I think more times than not, when we talk about non-traditional students, what we're really talking about is students who have not done the traditional 18 you know, straight out of high school into college, straight through college for four years, applying the junior year, you know, after their junior year, going into senior year, and uh, then they're going to go straight from college to medical school. So th that's the sort of traditional pathway. So anything that sort of deviates. Now, I would say that gap years are becoming much more common. Um, I, I would not say that they're typical, but they're, they're more common now than they used to be. And uh, just because you take a gap year doesn't really necessarily pop you into that sort of non-traditional uh, sort of population of, of, of uh, applicants, I think. Um, you would still often be seen as a traditional applicant if you took a gap year to do something, you know, really interesting or, you know, whatever you did uh, during the gap year. And then you came back and applied or, or whatever. So really to the question is, 
that this issue of clinical experience and the what what the challenge that non-traditional students often have, which is they're working full time, uh, or, or or going to school full time and working part time, or go, working full time and going to school part time, and they just don't have a whole lot of room in their schedule for a whole lot of shadowing or so that their experiences may be seen as somewhat less or they worry that their experiences, the amount of experience is less. And I, I, I think what, what you have to focus on in this, uh, in this conversation really is that it's not about necessarily the amount of time you're spending doing something. What is really crucial is what you're getting out of it and how you talk about it. It is the value of it to you the meaning of it and how that meaning got created and how you communicate that meaning to an admissions committee in your application. So you may only have, you know, you may be comparing yourself with, let's say, uh, maybe a total of 40 hours of, of shadowing and, and some volunteering and stuff. And you're thinking, wow, these, there's these other applicants who have hundreds of hours of uh, doing all kinds of different things. But I've seen so many, so many applications where a student had lots of experiences and has no clue what they did, has no idea the magnitude of what they were doing or what it meant uh, to them, what the value of it was, why they were even doing it. They could talk about the task-oriented yep. questions that they did, the tasks that they did, but they could not talk about what it meant. And so I think the va the value is really to an admissions committee is more about what did this mean to you? Uh, the, it's the it's what I like to call the so what versus the what. You did volunteering, you did shadowing. That's the what part. The the more important issue is the so what part. Who cares that you did that? Uh, everybody does that kind of stuff. We want to know what difference it made in your life, what you got out of it, the meaning of it. And so that's where I think you have to focus yourself as an applicant. So regardless of whether you only have 40 hours of, uh, of uh, medically related experiences or 300 hours of medically related experiences, uh, you've got to focus in on what it meant to you. That's what the admissions committee wants to know. Did this person get it at all? Did they understand what they were doing? Did they see what was going on around them? Did they pay attention to the relationships, to the uh, – to the issues that were that were uh, all around them, did they get it at all, or did they just sort of see, oh, he gave that person a shot, or that person's going to go to surgery or or whatever? So, um, so that's what admissions committees are looking for, and that's where you have to find your uh, the power of your application if you're limited in the number of uh, hours that you've got or the experiences that you have. Uh, you focus in on that value. That's yeah. the important part. I'll I'll add just a, a brief snippet based on a conversation I had with a, another dean of admissions at a, a different medical school. Uh, specifically, it was it was myself, him, and a, a non traditional student, and she was asking like, I I have a family to take care of. I have food I need to put on the table, a roof to keep over my head. I don't have the time to dedicate 
to shadowing and clinical experiences and research. Well, does does that get taken into account? It was really the question, and mm-hmm. probably a little bit behind this question as well. And the the dean of admissions at that school was like, of course, definitely. Yes. We, oh, yeah. we see all of that, which is why it's good. A lot of students forget to put jobs and other stuff in there. Yeah in their yeah. activity list that they think may not be related to medicine, but it just paints a better picture of who you are and what you've yep. been doing. And so that the admissions committees can go, well, their hours are a little bit lower than what we normally look at. Oh, but look, they, they work and we can most likely tell that they have mm-hmm. a kid if they didn't talk about mm-hmm. it and, and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. So definitely all of that gets taken. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. Now I, I will say this. I have seen, both traditional and non-traditional applicants who will say in their application, you know, I really, you know, I'm very busy. I have, I'm working and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I don't have, uh, I'm in classes a lot and I don't have time to do a whole lot of uh, health related experiences. And so just, just as you've said, Ryan, that's, you know, taken into account. We look at the whole picture of who this student is. However, if I look at your application, and I see that you have 10 or 15 hours a week to work out in the gym then, or to play with your band at some, you know, to practice with the band or whatever. So you have to be careful to recognize not only in your application, but in your life in general. You can't say I'm super busy and then have time to go play soccer three times a week. Yeah. That's not going to fly. Yep. Cool. All right. Good question. Out of the hundreds incredible pre-med students you interview, how do you figure out who is right for your school and will make a great physician? That's a good question, right? So yeah. so as an admissions committee, how yeah. are you all sitting around going, how do we frame our questions? What sort of mm-hmm. information are we looking for? Who are we looking for in a student for our class? Yeah. Yeah, and this is going to vary uh, pretty considerably. Uh, by medical school. Uh, you know, these days, medical schools have very um, different ways of interviewing students. Some, some schools do the traditional interview uh, method where it's, you know, two faculty members or perhaps a faculty member and, and, a, and a community physician, or some schools use uh, medical students or residents to interview students, but they're, they're very traditional. It's a 30-minute or so uh, interview. It could be structured or non-structured. In other words, structured would be they're, they're told what questions to ask. Non-structured would be they can ask whatever they want to. Uh, and then other schools use the multiple mini-interview uh, where, you know, you go to uh, different stations and there are um, ethical or social dilemmas that are presented and you have to respond in a very short period of time to what the, what the uh, scenario is. Uh, some schools use a mixture of those two. They may use multiple in, mini interview, and then they may have one or more um, traditional interviews. So, within the context of noting that every school kind of does it differently, um, I think that uh, what what medical schools are looking for in in uh, in an interv- via interview experiences are a variety of things. One of the most important, I think, is can you actually carry on a conversation? You know, this is a very crucial 
part of what it means to be a physician. You're talking to people. Uh, you are talking, you are carrying on a conversation with them. And, and you, you have to come to a point where you can make that person feel comfortable with you. Uh, we hear over and over again, and most of us in our lives have experienced going to a doctor and being totally frustrated because the doctor, you didn't connect at all. Yeah. Uh, I've had experiences with with uh, my children or whatever where <clears throat> where we went, and, and I had one where I went to an orthopedic surgeon. My daughter had, had hurt her leg through uh, a, a soccer accident, and... Uh, Literally, we were in the examination room for probably 20 minutes uh, while he was talking to us about the injury. He did not look at either one of us eye to eye the entire time we were in that room. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And uh, we, you know, it was very frustrating. We felt like he, he looked at the ceiling. He looked out the window. He looked at the x-ray. He, he looked at all, everything else except us. And uh, so in other words, the, the, the interview experience, what the admissions committees really are looking for, they know a lot about you. The interview is not to find out information about you. Yeah. The, inf- the interview is to find out, are you a real person? Is there somebody there that, connect with, that can connect with me? And, uh, and more about the, uh, the mission of the institution. Uh, the, the admissions committees get a lot of information about mission orientation and how well you fit that through the secondary application. Uh, but they may be exploring that as well. But they want to see, uh, can you talk? When I used to interview medical students, uh, uh, pre-med students for, for, for medical school interviews, um, we had a non-structured uh, way uh, of interviewing. So I could really, I asked, and and a lot of different questions. And, and I would rarely ask medically oriented questions. I would most often, if, you know, a good example would be if the student put in their application that they played the trombone in the, you know, orchestra at, at their uh, college. I might, I might want to ask, I might want to talk for 10 or 15 minutes just about the trombone and why you chose <laughs> a trombone and, you yes. know, what, how, how you like the orchestra and what you get out of that. And, yeah. and I just want to find out who are you? Can we connect? Can yeah. you talk? What is your language like? Is it intelligent? Is it, you know, what, what's that all about? What I want to get to know you. And uh, so that's, I think a lot of the interview is, is about that kind of thing. Yeah. At the end of the day, what I typically tell students is, as the interviewer is sitting there, they're picturing you taking, as you mentioned, taking care of your kids, taking care of yeah. your loved ones. Yeah. Do I want this person sitting across yep. from me to take care of them? Yep. Uh, and and really, at the end of the day, that's that's ultimately the the goal is is interviewing and finding somebody who I want to be around and yep. have have take care of my family. So, it's absolutely right. Yeah, they they know how smart you are. Obviously, MCAT GPA <laughs> does that. You don't need to yep. have medical knowledge. That's what medical school is for. They're going to yeah, teach you exactly. that. So, exactly. Yeah. Good, good, good. Exactly. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. How important is an applicant's undergraduate institution? I love this question. <laughs> <sighs> Scott, should I go to Harvard or to my local state school where I got a full ride and we'll know Harvard's not a good, uh, Harvard has a big, lots of money that they give students to, but yeah, uh, that's true. A very expensive private school or the full mm-hmm. ride to my state school. Yeah. 
Yeah, we get this question a lot. This comes up a lot. We used to, we, you know, medical schools get this question through. Uh, we we often get this get this question from uh, parents and kids who are in you know tenth or eleventh grade and they're trying to figure out where they want to go to school and uh, and and they are looking at a variety of schools. Uh, so this is not at all uncommon. And the question is really about fit. I think Um, you have to go to an institution that fits you uh, in terms of the uh, the undergraduate institution, your college experience. And, you, you know, if you have a number of different options and you're looking at school X, Y, and Z, and maybe school X is like you said, a really top notch private institution and, School Y is is sort of a local uh, state institution, and you know whatever. I think you have to you have to consider where do I see myself? Where do I feel comfortable? And the same question I feel like uh, often comes up within the context of major. What should I major in? Should I major in biology because I really want to major in psychology, but you know, my mom says, no, you have to major in biology. That's what medical schools want and stuff like that. And so I think the same thing applies there. You, you study what you want to study because ultimately that's where you're going to do best. Yeah. If you want to go to the state school because your best friend's going there and because, you know, you, you really connected with it and it sounds cool and, and uh, then, then go to the state school. If you, if you, just are super intrigued by the Ivy league school or, you know, a private school that you don't want want to go to, then then go there. Medical schools do not, you know, there's always been this myth that there's some sort of formula and that the medical schools alter your GPA based on this formula. And the formula has within it a, a modifier for the type of school you're coming to. So if you went to a really hard, you know, what's considered a really tough school, then they're going to modify that GPA accordingly. That is not the way it works at all. Uh, it is, does it, not, is it out of the ordinary? Is it is it completely like there's not one medical school that maybe has a couple bonus points in their rubric for a school that they know just doesn't curve or they like a major, for instance, that they know students really struggle with. So what I think happens is on an individual basis, not for groups. No. So everybody that goes to Harvard gets a bump. No. But if, 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 if individual Johnny Smith uh, went to, you know, uh, whatever school, let's say St. Olaf's, you know, <laughs> private school for <laughs> brilliant kids or whatever. Um, and, and that was the, and that's known as a really, you know, tough school. Then on an individual basis, then the, the, the committee may look at, in, in terms of a holistic process, they may look at that individual student and say, well, this student has a 3-4 GPA. But we see they went to St. Olaf's, they studied uh, molecular biology or, you know, whatever, or chemical engineering. It's the engineering, you know, uh, uh, majors that are, are sometimes really very uh, taxing, both in terms of the time commitment, but also in terms of the, 
the uh, the, the the type of uh, information that you're studying and stuff like that. Not it doesn't mean engineering is the only majors that are like that, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so they may on that individual student basis say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna give this particular student a bump because of X, Y, and Z. He went to X school. He studied this. Another good example might be that he was a uh, varsity athlete and uh, he played on the St. Olaf's uh, football team and he was a you know starter and, and they've got lots of commitments and stuff. And we liked that he committed to that and he learned fr- from that and, and, and all the qualities that he took away from that. But it, it had a, bu- it had an effect on his GPA. So it wasn't a three, six or a three, seven GPA, but it was a three, three or a three, four, and so on that individual student basis, we're going to say, yeah, we, we like this guy. We really um, uh, are going to give him a bump in our process. So I don't think that there's a, an algorithm that does that. I think it's on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, definitely. So, Scott, do you know the, what I say about picking schools? No. No. Okay. So here's, Tell me. here's what I say about picking schools. I say don't go to a great school. Go to a school that will make you great. Absolutely. I love that. That's that's uh, And that could be yeah. that could be St. Olaf or it could be Podunk State University. It it could be the Derek Zoolander Center for kids who can't read good school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or you know, for a lot of students these days in particular, it's it's beginning at community college. And uh, it's going to community college for a couple of years and then transitioning into the local state university uh, because that's what you can do financially. Let's let's talk about that. Right. That's that's a question we get all of the time. Oh, yeah. it's, this, it's perpetuated on SDN and Reddit and everywhere that medical schools don't like it when students go to community college. Community college classes are easier and they know that you're playing the game to increase your GPA. Well, I. I don't agree with that. I don't think that <laughs> medical. I don't think that medical schools have these necessarily these broad generalities yep. about anything really. Uh, I think that again, they're looking at a at a group of they're looking at a, 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 a individual student, and they're trying to figure out who is this individual student. What is what is her story, and why did she why did she go to community college to start off? And, uh, and if it's clear that, you know, she, she's working, she's living at home, she's, uh, community college is all all she and her family can do. And, uh, she does well in community college. She transitions to state school, state university, or maybe a private school. And, uh, and she's able to be consistent in the, the level of grades that she's making at the upper level courses in the, in the four-year institution, then that's what they're wanting to see is, is this whole picture of who is this student? What are they all about? And now if, if a, what I don't recommend necessarily is a student who is at a four-year institution and goes home for the summer and goes to community college and takes science classes. I, I do not recommend that. Um, I would say if you're going to go home for the summer and need to take classes during the summer, do it in non-science related courses. Pick up history or political science or English or psych- you know, psychology maybe or other courses that are gen- 
general electives or general education courses. And particularly if you, if it does become clear that you are at a four-year institution and that you are trying to go somewhere else, such as a community college to take physics because you think it's going to be easier there, then absolutely they're going to see that. They're going to see through that a mile away. So, you know, don't do that. And some students try to play the game like that. <laughs> it's and very similar to to what's been happening with COVID, right? This whole pass-fail question. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and students are like, well, I, I, should I go pass-fail? Should I not? And really the answer is, what is your whole breadth of of classes? Right. What does right. that story tell? Right. right. The the admissions committees aren't looking on page three, going, "Oh, look, you you ran to the community college and you went and got an A." But when they zoom out and look at the whole story, it's well, you got an yep. A here, an A here, an A. Like your whole story yes. is absolutely. It's not going to be that big of a deal. But if Correct. they can tell based on the story that you're struggling in your in your four-year university classes, yep. and all of a sudden you have these community college classes that are A's, then the question is, well, what what is going on behind the scenes Absolutely. there? The, it's, right. it's the full – I always talk about it. It's, it's not the micro stuff that, that – It's the macro. Schools. It's Absolutely. macro. What's the, it's the big picture? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. That's exactly right. All right. Thoughts on including your kids in your personal statement. Does that make adcoms nervous that you might not be able to succeed in medical school? So, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I always like to asterisk these kinds of answers with, look, humans are reading these. Humans have biases. Humans may have woken up uh, on the wrong side of the bed because of their kids and were like, you can't go to medical school with kids. I can't even I can't even be a faculty member with medical school with kids. But uh, so with with that, I think if it becomes if it, it seems obvious in reading your application, it's, it's somewhat gratuitous that you're including mentions of your children in your application, then that's going to be weird. And they're going to be like, what's up with this? It <laughs> just seems to come out of nowhere for no reason at all. But on the other hand, if you, in your personal statement or if in one of your other essays, you, uh, such as a meaningful experiences essay or something like that, where you're talking about that, you know, your one of your children had a terrible chronic disease, and mm-hmm. that uh, part of the reason you want to go into medicine is is coming from that experience. Then yep. it makes total sense, yep. and and so I wouldn't shy away from that at all. Uh, but it, it, it so it, it's again, it's exactly what we we're just talking about. It's not necessarily. Um, that micro part of it, that micro story in, in one of your essays, it's the bigger picture of what, what is this whole thing all about? What is this applicant all about? And what, what are they trying to do? And what does their picture look like? And if that picture includes children and it, it makes sense to include mentions of your children in, in your application, then I, I wouldn't shy away from it. You have to be true to yourself ultimately and, 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 and want to, um, give the picture of who you are to the admissions committees. Uh, then, if if part if part of that is your children, then absolutely include it. But again, if it's 
if it seems kind of weird or whatever when they're reading it, then that may be a, a, a red flag for a whole different reason, not just the fact that you have kids. Yep. Definitely. So another another question that just came in uh, with with COVID and everything going on, what what are your general recommendations for students right now who may have had their shadowing stopped, their clinical experiences stopped, it's like the whole world has stopped. So a lot of students are are both worried for their applications mm-hmm. now, but also moving forward for applications right. next year, the year after. Right, right. What this hiatus is going to look like from an application perspective, but also asking what can I be doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that the uh, the admissions committees are going through COVID just like everybody else is. Their medical students are going through COVID. Their medical students have had to stop rotations, have had to, you know, shut down a lot of things. Uh, and it has affected everybody. And so the admissions committees aren't on some other planet. Uh, they realize what's going on. And, uh, and, and so I, I think largely my advice is for students, um, particularly those who are applying this year, there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, you know, there are some uh, remote internships that you can do, but in terms of real experiences, um, you know, that's going to be a bit of a challenge, I think, um, to, to, uh, to get some of those, there, there are not a whole lot of remote or, or online internships that you can do. And, and I, I sort of wonder about the value of those, particularly within the context of healthcare. You know, if you were going to business school or something, you could do a remote internship and work on some project or whatever. And, oh, absolutely. It'd be, you know, fine. But in terms of the people oriented, uh, health professions, it's a little bit different story. And so I think you, uh, I think you have to just take what you've got and go with it. And, and the admissions committees are aware. They know what's going on. They understand what this is all about and the uh, limitations that it has placed on everybody. And so I, 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 don't, I don't think you need to worry about that you know, too much. Now, I would say if you are applying this year, like right now, you're in the process of applying. And you waited until March, you waited until spring of your junior year in college to start getting experiences in healthcare some few months ahead of your application. And that's a whole nother question. Uh, it goes back to the micro macro thing, right? Yeah, the whole absolutely, story absolutely. And I, I think that's where a lot of students they they go through this process, and that's where I hope Maps really gets people out of yep. this mindset. Is they go through this process, going, okay, I, I got to focus on my grades. Okay, my, my grades are under control. Okay, I have to do a couple hours of shadowing. Okay, I've done that. Okay, now I need to do yeah. this, and now I need to do that. And and yeah. they just they go through this whole process of check, 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 yep. instead yep. of like. Let me live. Let me be who mm-hmm. I am. Let yeah. me prove to myself that this is what I want and get yeah. those experiences. And and let me explore. Let me explore, you know, exactly. explore the world around <laughs> me and see what this yeah. is all about. Absolutely. Let's let's talk uh, a little bit of uh, uncomfortable topic uh, mm-hmm. right now. Talking about volunteering and shadowing and and what can students be doing? I I've been getting a lot of questions from students who are out protesting right now, mm-hmm. rightfully so, and they're scared about 
what happens if I get arrested? Right. Mm -hmm. What what will that look like? If I get arrested, will I have to answer these questions on the application? Will the medical schools understand that I was out not not just out for fun, but out protesting injustice yeah. in this world? Yeah. What what do you think? How do you think schools are going to deal with that when a student potentially applies and has an arrest record because of these protests? Well, uh you know, I think, again, the medical schools are not living in some vacuum somewhere. Uh, they are many medical schools. Perhaps the majority of medical schools are in urban areas. Uh, they may be experiencing uh, the uh, protests in their own neighborhoods. Uh, they may be caring for people who have been um, somehow wounded in or hurt uh, in the process of these protests. Uh, so, the medical schools know what's going on and they see this all around them. And, uh, and I think again, what, what is most important is if you got arrested or whatever, uh, in a, in a protest, then yes, you would have to put that on the application. Most of the applications ask if you were, uh, not, I know the, that they often ask if you've been arrested or, um, charged with a crime or whatever you have to look at the language pretty pretty carefully but also i think you have to be just up front and and but the what they what they give you an opportunity to say is is to explain that and and again what you have to do is really talk about what is the what is the bigger context for why i got arrested i was i was protesting you know racism in our society and in our community and as a part of these protests, uh, I was arrested um, because I was, you know, there and, and they arrested a whole bunch of people and I was one of them. And, yeah. and so, I, you know, I think most of the medical schools that I've ever had contact with, most of the uh, deans of admissions that I know, uh, they're going to connect with this sort of idea of social activism. I mean, there is a social quality to being a physician and uh, physicians have a, a role in our society uh, to take care of people, but also to be on the forefront of, of, le of being leaders uh, in our society. And I think that uh, medical schools will connect. Now, having said that, if you get arrested because you're looting target, <laughs> then that may be a little bit different story, yeah. you know? So, um, but, you know, most of you, hopefully all of you are not going to be looting Target. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, again, it's just, it's, Ryan, it's just what you just said. You live, you live your life and you let the things that are important to you pour out of you. And if that means you're out protesting, then you do it. Yeah. And you do it wholeheartedly and yeah. you do it because you care about it. Uh, and let's and let's let's extrapolate that and go. Okay, so let's say I, I live in Texas, right? Texas, not known for being the most liberal state. Mm -hmm. I, I live in Texas. I, I I was in Austin, UT Austin, very liberal town of Austin. Yep. I was yep. out protesting. I got arrested. I um, maybe wasn't convicted, but I'm going to have to answer yes. I got arrested. If you apply to all the Texas schools and one of them goes, oh, we don't want them. They're just going to be a troublemaker. Well, guess what? They just did you a favor because the next time yep. that you want to go raise your voice and speak your truth 
and the school tries to say, hey, like Sally, you, you're not allowed to do that. That that doesn't represent our values here as at, at our school. You don't want to be there anyway. So right. That's it's, right. It's okay. And and That's so exactly as you're going right. through this process, understand that the far majority of schools are going to be okay with you protesting. They're going to love that you protested, obviously, yeah, uh, nonviolently, not not looting and all of that stuff. But the the far majority are going to be okay yeah. with that, and they're going to understand that, especially right now. And the ones that don't, too bad, they're lost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is very uh, near and dear to me. My oldest daughter was at a uh, protest here in Austin on Sunday. Was hit by a rubber bullet. And that has a huge contusion on her lower leg. Those things and, are, I didn't realize how oh, big they are. They're big and they hurt. They, and this was a ricochet. It wasn't even straight on. It was a ricochet. And it is still, she's had, you know, a real painful experience with it. So anyway, that is just to say, we all live in the same world. You know, the medical school admissions committee people are watching the news just like you are. And, you know, some of them may be out protesting uh, is just as well. And so, uh, you know, I think you can't live your life thinking, what is this going to look like to the admissions committee? You got to live your life and be you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Scott, episode two of ask the Dean in the books. So many good questions. So yeah, there's always so many that we can't get to. And I feel, I feel bad about that. But right. uh, we are we are around. Uh, we'll be in the group trying to answer questions as well. But Monday we're going to be back in our kind of normal time slot. We're going to do these on Mondays at yep. uh, what do we say? Five Central. 6 Five Central. Eastern. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Five Central. And uh, so every Monday we'll be uh, here. So if we didn't get your question this week, uh, then uh, or today, then we can do it this coming Monday or the following Monday or whatever. So. <laughs> Or we'll whenever. Be, yeah, yeah. It'll be fun. Awesome. Uh, I love it. Uh, again, thank you for everyone watching this. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel or on Facebook, on social media after these, uh, you can be part of Mapped. This, uh, this private Facebook group is only for pre-orders until we go live. So if you want to pre-order um, whenever we go live, we're hoping to go live in the fall of 2020, whenever that looks like. Um, if you want yep. to pre-order mapped, not very far away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you can, you can come join in these live with us. So yeah, Scott, absolutely. I appreciate you. I'm, I'm glad you didn't, uh, take my, my seed writing, personal statement writing. <laughs> First question was a good one. Well, I do have a fireplace and I'm thinking kindling oh. here. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally <laughs> joking. Yeah. That's total joke. Total joke. <laughs> Well, awesome. Uh, uh, thank you for everyone watching and participating yeah. and asking questions uh, and whatever we can do for you here at MAPS to let us know. All right, another Ask the Dean in the books. I hope you enjoyed this one. Lots of great questions. We have more coming. We do Ask the Dean live in our Mapped group, which is available for students who have pre-ordered at this point, pre-ordered mapped uh we're deciding whether or not we're going to continue allowing people into the group as we go we most likely will uh but that's where we do our facebook lives for students using mapped as i'm recording this mapped is so close to be launched publicly we're probably just a few weeks away so go check out mapped.com m-a-p-p-d.com to see what mapped can do for you 
We have special pre-order pricing until we go live, so go check it out. Again, mapped.com.